Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We are thrilled that you're with us today as we uh, are pursuing our never-ending quest for truth. Uh, this this podcast is all about Christian worldview and uh, and the beauty of a Christian worldview. And I I have been the uh, the biggest proponent since the beginning of this podcast that. Uh, if you can find anything that makes more sense in the entire world than than the gospel and the the worldview that flows out of the scriptures, please let me know. I'll I'll quit what I'm doing. I'll turn in my resignation. You know, I used to tell that to young people when I was a youth pastor. I said, you know, if there's something more real, more true, it fits reality better than Jesus and the gospel. Please let me know because I don't want to waste my life. You know, and because sometimes people go, well, you're just saying that because you're a pastor, right? Or mm-hmm. you, you're just, you know, you're the youth pastor, so you're paid to say that. But nobody wants to live a lie. And I think what we've tried to, to demonstrate on this podcast since its inception is that uh, if we're serious about our pursuit of truth, we want our lives to matter, and we want we want a, a life that makes sense. Then we've got to we got to pursue and aggressively go after that. And then, and if you land on the gospel, and you land on Jesus, and you land on the scriptures, uh, and then you compare that to how life is and how reality functions, it's like, hey, this makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and when something makes sense. You're a happy person. Now you have meaning and purpose and direction, and and that is what we really offer uh, when we share the gospel. And I think what our nation and all the nations are are clamoring for. So praise the Lord. We ought, we should probably say today's Valentine's Day, and well, I know when you watch this, yeah, it's not Valentine's Day, day but we're recording <laughs> on Valentine's yeah. Day. And uh, and anyway, so I hope you go out and let people know that you love them. And uh, if you're married, love your wife, all right, and write some notes and do something special. Uh, I have four daughters. I used to always uh, make that a very special time with my daughters, although they all now have sweethearts in their life, so I'm passing the baton. But uh, it's a great day to remind people of the of the love of Christ and uh, how valuable they are. So let someone know today uh, how much you love them, all right? I want to read. Uh, actually, I'm gonna, Andrew and I we like to we like to use books as as uh, launch pads. Yeah, and uh, we're gonna we're going to be launching into and a really exciting series on this podcast. That the book that we're going to be basing this on is called um, the book that made your world. How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. And some of you on the podcast previously probably heard me mention this brother's name. He's a good uh, Indian. A man of God, his name is Vishal Mangawadi. I'm, I'm sure I messed it up. But uh, they call him the C.S. Lewis of India. Yeah, That's quite a compliment, because C.S. Lewis was a profound thinker. But what um, they compare him to, to the Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, who was a, a French uh, uh, dignitary who came to the United States and observed the way Americans lived from a French perspective. And how many of you know that... that, that uh, cross-cultural perspective sometimes is valuable. Like, let somebody who's not been raised in America critique our, our, our nation and our ideas and the way we do things. It's helpful. So he comes from the American culture from an Indian being raised in from an the Hindu Eastern culture. perspective. Yeah, yeah, an Asian perspective. And, and his insight is incredible as to the things that we're blinded to. You yeah. know, because when you live in a culture and that's just the way things are, it's kind of like the fish in the water, you know. You that's just the way things roll. That's how we think. It, it's the air we breathe. But that's not the world in which everybody else lives. Yeah, I was. Uh, you know anything me. about Asian culture? What? You know anything about Asian culture? <laughs> oh, do I know anything about Asian culture? <laughs> A little bit. Only grew up in it. You know, I, I was reading uh, Os Guinness, and he mentioned, you know, Os Guinness, who's also a, a uh, British thinker, yeah. a great thinker. He he grew up in China, actually. Uh, I think his parents were missionaries in China. Yeah. 
But he was saying how, um, you know, the Chinese, you know, Eastern Asian nation, you know, after the kind of the pillars by the Western nation in the kind of modern times, they did a deep dive studying what made the Western nation so powerful. And their conclusion was actually Christianity. Yeah. And again, that's from the Eastern objective, not biased, not trying utilitarian perspective. And they right. and they looked at the whole thing and they're saying, whoa, the reason why the West becomes what it became, it went from like a bunch of barbarians to to technology and conquest and just all these different how do they get there what's the infrastructure and they they right. decided it was actually christianity yeah the the uh, intellectual infrastructure that's that's shaped by ideas and we're going to talk about that uh, you know in the next podcast it's those ideas that shape the way we see the world around us yeah. and and sometimes those those ideas we don't if we don't identify them again we just assume this is the way things are but just what you pointed out like china has been enamored with the economic powerhouse that that the West has been, especially in particular the United States. Um, and these are those things that we argue, you know, if your worldview fits reality and it's true, you should be able to measure that by the outcome. You know, if you're living a lie, it's going to produce a really bad outcome. If you're living something that corresponds to truth with a capital T, you're going to see the fruit and blessing of that. No one can argue with with the uh, economic engine that the United States has been in terms of the freedom of uh, uh, economic freedom, freedom of ideas, freedom of speech, yeah. all, everything that, that goes into making for a, uh, a powerful society, you know. So it's interesting, the Chinese coming from an atheistic perspective now, anyway, the leadership, the Communist Party, Going, hey, what's the secret behind um, behind your success? And they found Christianity, uh, moral morality that it provides, freedom it provides. Uh, and and Osgood was saying specifically, really after the Reformation, right. when the kind of the puritanical work ethics came into to everything they did, that kind of transformed. You know, the Western Europe used to be kind of like just a bunch of tribal barbarians, and just like you know, like they were looked down upon by the East. Right. Right, and then all of a sudden they transform, and the East now is like, what happened? What changed? Right. Well, really, the Reformation. <laughs> yeah, and and those are the kind of ideas that we want to capture, uh, and certainly uh, in this book we're going to be talking about, uh, we want to capture some of the the historical flow of this thought and how it changed the world. Yeah. And these are the things that should be taught in higher education today, because yeah. these are these are historical facts. Uh, you cannot argue with the outcome. And of course, history is always mixed because there's broken, fallen, self-centered human beings. So you're never going to find a, a, a pure demonstration of the kingdom of God, right? But countries that have aligned themselves with biblical truth um, have found a great you know, blessing that's come on the heels of that. And that's, that's what needs to be taught. And that's just objective truth. And, uh, and it's not being taught today. Yeah. And so maybe that's a good, good starting point. Um, at, in the foreword of this book, there's an incredible p- statement here. It says, a culture can barely begin, let alone sustain, any s- serious intergenerational attempt to comprehend, interpret, and respond to the riddles of life and the universe unless it has some reasonably comprehensive worldview. Now, that's that's a PhD talking there. But what he's basically mm-hmm. saying is, there is nothing that will hold together your culture from generation to generation unless you have a worldview that provides a shared basis of understanding life. And he goes on to say that for, Christ, that for Americans, that worldview has been Christianity. So what we're seeing now in our culture is that worldview is being absolutely uh, shredded or attacked or simply not taught, sometimes just ignorance. 
but we're watching in America the kind of the disintegration and the fragmentation of nearly every aspect of our society. Um, I think people are greatly disturbed over the lack of morality. If you're on social media, you see mobs of young people just swarming into businesses and stealing everything imaginable. Um, uh, you see violence breaking out at airports. You know, you see fights at the terminal, you know, a baggage claim. You're seeing random shootings, senseless killings. I just saw, you know, that happened last night in the news up in Michigan. Um, you know, there's just a, a, a there's a disintegration that's happening and accelerating. And I think it causes people great alarm uh, because it's like, what do we do about this? And yeah, we're the divided states of America yeah. today. Right is seen as wrong. Wrong is seen as right. Of course, according to your worldview. Right. You know, right now we're we're still in a place in which violence in general seems wrong. I don't know how long that's going to hold. At one right. point, it's going to be like, well, you know, we got to do what, what what it takes. You know, how quickly did, did Soviet Union or um, whatever totalitarian nations start using violence and start justifying violence, you know, governmental violence or neighbors against neighbor? Well, for the, and, and not too long ago, we saw when our, when our inner cities were burning down and there was rampant yeah. looting and violence. Uh, uh, Cheered even, on by the media. Even, yeah. yeah, even in, in Portland, remember there was yeah. a there was a federal a, a federal uh, building that was under siege, and they were attempting to burn it to the ground. And nobody, you know, basically they protected the building, but nobody prosecuted any of the people doing it. And it was almost like, well, this this is a legitimate response because these people are dealing with X, Y, and Z. And, you know, so it's okay for them to act this way. Uh, we've never in American history ever seen that kind of, uh, you know, like we're, we're government and those responsible for keeping order just take their hands off. Well, the definition for responsibility, ownership, uh, welfare, all this stuff has completely been divided. I was sharing with a business group the other day. I said, you know, when people say that's not American, well, that has no meaning whatsoever anymore. When someone says, oh, that's America, that's the most American thing. Like, what do you mean by that? Like everyone has a different definition. Like when you ask me, what does it mean to be American? I have to go back and say, well, I am talking about the constitution. Yeah. Because there's, but when someone says, what does it mean to be American? So for instance, you go back to founding documents or something like that. But what they're really getting at is what, what are the shared values that make us yeah. who we are? And, and that's, that is the issue. And right. I, I just want to read here from Alan Bloom. His, he had a, a best-selling book back in the day, Closing Over the American Mind. He was a, a Jewish professor coming from a Judeo-Christian, obviously, worldview. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, he says here, in the United States, practically speaking, the Bible was the only common culture, one that united the simple and the sophisticated, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, and as the very model for a vision of the order of the whole of things, as well as the key to the rest of Western art, the greatest works of which uh, were in one way or another responsive to the Bible, provided uh, access to the seriousness of books. All right, so he's saying that it was the Bible and the ideas that came out of the Bible that provided the shared common culture. So we all knew, hey, you can't just go in and steal from the store, and you can't just randomly go shoot somebody and... You know, that, 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 you can't do that. Well, where did that come from? What well, came from our shared sense of values? Or how about, you know, abortion, which was unheard of in America <laughs> until Roe v. Wade? Uh, people would go, well, no, it, you can't. You can't just take the life of a child in the mother's womb. That's murder. You can't. That, that's not justice. That was a shared sense of values that held us together as a nation. 
And it might have been fraying at the fringes with certain groups, but by and large, everybody kind of shared a sense of this is the way the world works or this is the way we as Americans see the world. And then you have to ask the question, where did that come from? It, it came from the ideas in the Bible. So even a secular person who didn't know scripture and verse and wasn't raised in church was, was raised in a culture that was supported by uh, big business, you know, uh, higher education, the church, you know, public schools, you know, um, K through 12 schools. Everybody was basically singing off the same song sheet. Yeah. And that song sheet came from the Bible. Uh, and so those, those were undisputable facts. And then truth came under attack, and we've talked about this. There's certain ideologies that began taking root, uh, especially in our universities and so forth. And, um, and I love this. When truth is rejected, it's going to be replaced by the authority of coercion. This is where we find ourselves today, the authority of coercion. And uh, so we're going to get into some of that. But, but I have been, you know, in our, as we've talked about life in general in America and, and revival and, and reformation, and let me just parenthetically say, I don't know how many of you have been paying attention to the uh, awakening that's happen, happening at Asbury University in Kentucky. Uh, Asbury was the, the uh, place of a great student revival that happened years ago. And right now, I think they're into their 100th hour uh, of continually uh, having people in that auditorium just worshiping, praying, repenting on their faces before God. None of it was scheduled. None of it was planned. It was just a spontaneous, you know, move of God. And and this is what's cool about revival. You know, uh, uh, when you are in an atmosphere where God's presence is extremely powerful. You walk into that and you you sense the glory of the Lord. It, it, it is uh, something that's not manufactured by people, and that's what's happening. I mean, people are now curious. They're walking into the chapel if they can get if they can make their way in, and uh, and they're immediately gripped by a sense of of heaven. You know the presence of the Lord, and um, and who knows how long this is going on. But what better place for awakening to happen than on our university campuses, especially even our Christian campuses, as you and I both know, and we've documented have gone woke in so many ways and have lost the gospel, lost holiness, lost their mission of the gospel. Um, what a great place for awakening to happen. So these are, these are some great signs, but it's a, it's a zero <laughs> some game, you know, kind of a proposition here. If we don't, recover Christian higher, higher education, at least uh, the openness of communicating the gospel and truth and the belief in truth. If we don't recover higher education and we go down the, uh, the CRT path, uh, which is really Marxism, uh, we're, we're in big trouble because yeah. uh, this is where we're training the next generation of leaders, and, um, and we're in really, really big trouble. So um, I have been encouraged, number one, because we're believing that there needs to be an awakening uh, that only the Lord can do. But intellectually, as we talk about, there's got to be like a cultural infrastructure to support what this supernatural move of God is doing, you know, to sustain it. It's great when we experience these bursts of passion and renewal and all, everything like that. But there's got to be the infrastructure, the, the, so to speak, the, the banks of the river that are put in place to keep the flow of the water and um, and that's where the church comes into place. That's where higher education comes into place. Yeah, you need Christian intellectuals. Yes. You, you still need it. Like, as much as I do not like secondary higher education institutions in general today because of all the things you mentioned, uh, I was listening to a podcast by uh, Dennis D D'Souza. Yeah. And yeah. he was saying there's a, there's a place, there needs to be a place for Christian conservatives. 
uh, intellectual conservatives because where are you going to get the Supreme Court justices who's going to have righteous law, who's going to sort through all these documents and look through all that and have the just decisions, right? You still need that. And, and there's few and far between in terms of Christian institutions that's able to get people to yeah, just to Just that a little point. comma here. Sometimes we, we look at, you know, like in the church we would call, you need to have people who who are rooted and grounded and in, in, in experts in doctrine. In a doctrine, that seems like the antithesis of revival. And yet healthy doctrine, or as you pointed out, uh, the intellectual community is critical for sustaining an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can move powerfully. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Martin Luther in the Reformation was not creating <clears throat> new doctrine. He was simply discovering the the traditional uh, uh, church doctrine from the early church and rediscovering those principles and bringing them back. You know, right. so doctrine is important. Now, of course, is there a legalistic, intellectual kind of pride, elitism side? Sure, there's a balance to all. We all have right. to fight those balances. Yeah. The, the head and the heart have to be forever united, and that's why yeah. we need to be grounded in the Word and full of the Spirit, you know. Uh, it, all that can become dry and dead and, and lifeless, uh, but the flip side is also true. You, you can experience bursts of emotion and passion and in the presence of God that you're unable to sustain because you have no roots. Yeah. Um, and so I think what we've been committed to in this podcast, and certainly in, in my pastoring at Living Stones, I just want a church that's able to think deeply about truth and then able to move powerfully in, in the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we love His presence and we, and we love His principles, you know. Um, and it's not either or. And I found that the more my mind is is inflamed with the truth of who God is, then it causes my heart to be awakened. And, and they, they're not in opposition. They go hand in hand. And I think when we lose our minds, figuratively speaking, we lose our minds, we end up losing our hearts. It's inevitable. And if you if you lose your heart, you'll end up losing your mind. I mean, they, they both they go hand in hand. Um, and so we really do have to recover both that, that dynamic, passionate love for the person of Jesus Christ, but a rock solid um, understanding of how biblical truth applies to, to reality and actually shapes reality with a capital R, because we believe in objective reality, objective truth. I mean, you mentioned this guy is a C.S. Lewis of India. I mean, C.S. Lewis is a, is a great example of someone who really used his mind. I can't speak to his emotions because I don't know his emotions, but I know his mind based on the books he read. I mean, he wrote, and, yep. these, and his mind has laid such beautiful foundation, has cultivated soil for emotions to fill that. Yep. You know, and, and there, are more mind, there are mind people and there are heart people, and I'm more of a mind person, so I kind of lead with my thoughts instead. But that doesn't mean my emotions are not powerful and Absolutely. they can be all-consuming. I and, think most people <laughs> have one, one foot or the other that they lead with. That's just how God's wired us. Um, and, and praise the Lord. I, I thank God for critical thinkers around me, people who can understand and unpackage things and, and great teachers of truths. I'm also grateful for people like my lovely wife, who who I call a big heart, not that she doesn't have a mind that's sharp, but she has such a full heart for the Lord that gushes over and, and, and informs her thoughts. Mm -hmm. We need each other, uh, and that's why the body of Christ is so beautiful. So... Um, but but here's the deal. If if higher education, and we highlighted this in our, in our last couple of series, if higher education comes under a Marxist ideology, which is what CRT, critical race theory, which is what all of this, uh, what's called DEI uh, protocol, which which is really Marxist ideology that has been placed over corporate America to where um, banks 
and um, and corporations on hiring, on funding, on who they do business with. They have all these quotas. They have all these um, uh, uh, requirements based upon this arbitrary worldview that's rooted in diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, that's not coming from a Christian worldview. It's coming from a Marxist worldview. And what happens is this becomes a template that determines who they hire, who they do business with. You know, we talked about cancel culture. It's a scary thing. And, you know, China's leading the way with this, uh, that social index that they create. Social based, credit system. What's that? Social credit system. Social credit system, which you look at it and you're like, this is some sci-fi, bizarre, you know, dystopian, you know, culture. What is going on here? But it is a thought through communistic you know, ideology that is applied to all of life, where if you like the wrong things, if you uh, go, to, go to church, if you espouse Christian values, if you do anything that's deemed not part of, 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 of DEI or CRT or whatever other theory out there, then you're punished. I mean, there, there are people who, on hiring practices, for instance, at universities, one of the things that I was reading about was a guy during the interview kept referring to the person asking the question with a male pronoun. He, and, and that was taken uh, off as a strike against him because he used a male pronoun instead of using the LGBTQ assortment of pronouns. So here's a guy that's just talking and using the pronouns we've used since the beginning of American time, right? And since the founding of the English language. And that, and that was used as a penalty against him. Uh, I knew of another situation statewide where a good friend of mine was fired from the law firm that he worked at simply for his belief that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Like, how? what are you talking? And this infuriated me at the time because I'm thinking, talk about injustice because you believe in what the scriptures teach and what we've embraced as American culture for several millennia. Uh, you are now fired, um, or this company threatens to to no longer do business with you. And this was a massive, a massive uh, you know client, a big account, and they caved to economic wokeness instead of standing for principle. This is an outstanding man, great leader, uh, outstanding Hoosier, and should be celebrated. And instead, he was fired. So I started seeing this coming down the pike years ago, and I started connecting the dots. And going, what kind of a future are my children going to be born into where they may not be able to go to uh, Harvard or Yale or Princeton or an Ivy League school because they actually believe what the Bible teaches about, you know, gender or about marriage or whatever? Um, how unjust is that? I mean, it was like a, it was like a communist country or, or a country where whatever the prevailing ideology is used to, you know, cancel you from participation in the larger culture. Um, and all of this is coming out of uh, this this kind of a ideology that's that's superimposed over higher education today. So you have you have a you know we we found this to be true as it relates to worldview. It is very hard to find a conservative professor in any major state university. I don't know what your experience was like. I went to a Christian college, but. Um, uh, especially in the sciences. Like if you believe in what the Bible teaches about creation and you're in the hard sciences today, you're definitely not going to be on the tenure track. You probably won't even get a, a, get hired in the first place if you believe in Genesis. Mm -hmm. um, so these are, uh, are, are scary times. But I, I love, uh, 
and we always try to provide what's going on in culture with a Christian worldview analysis. I can't think of a governor who is providing, you know, leadership uh, better than Ron DeSantis in Florida. I mean, you know, we talked about this last election. It's supposed to be a big red wave. Of course, it became more of a of a red drip, as they said. But Florida was the exception. A, a humongous uh, win, uh, not even close, for everything that Governor DeSantis is, is is doing to provide leadership in that country, or in that country, in that state. Um, but this was interesting. This came out from the, the Washington Stand, uh, FRC's publication. It's entitled, Zombie Studies, DeSantis Declares All-Out War on University uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, CRT, in his education manifesto. And I want you to hear what's so radical, what's being viewed as so radical. Uh, it says that he rolled out his education agenda to comprehensively recapture the state's higher education system from woke ideologues. Here's what he's putting forward uh, as a conservative vision for higher education. Quote, to focus on promoting academic excellence, the pursuit of truth, and how about this for radical? Give students the foundation so they can think for themselves. Now, who would have a problem with academic excellence, the pursuit of truth, and students actually thinking for themselves, unless you're pushing a progressive ideology that doesn't allow any, any independent thought uh, or any freedom to dissent? And, um, and, and, and so he's saying, if we don't take our universities back, you know, we're going to lose. He was also the one that was leading the way, of course, with all this crazy CRT stuff that's being taught to our elementary school kids where they're learning about uh, every perverted kind of sexual expression uh, and where they're, where they're being groomed uh, to change their gender and all this stuff without any permission from parents or any transparency. And, uh, and he went after it. And, and parents are like, yeah, thank you. You know, um, I mean, this is common sense stuff that I think most people would say a hearty amen to, but you just don't find the political leaders with enough courage and conviction. You know, as I said in this article, there's two things missing for most politicians. Number one, a brain, which we've talked about. You have to recover the intellectual high ground. And then a spine. It's one thing to know what should be done. It's another thing to have the courage to do it. And what I love about Governor DeSantis is he has both. He, he's an Ivy League trained, you know, brain. Uh, he's a military background. He's, he's certainly a courageous man. He's taken on the kind of the progressive Marxist left. And, uh, and he's, he's implementing incredible ideas in transformation in higher ed. And, and uh, there's, some, there's some ripple effects, but at the voting booth where it counts, he is a favorite. And, and I believe a, a favorite, uh, I, I hope he throws his hat in the political race regarding the presidency, because I think he'd make an outstanding uh, presidential candidate. Um, so anyway, we'll see where this is going. But, I, but here's what he said. I thought this was good. Uh, the, the core curriculum must be grounded in the actual history, the actual philosophy that has shaped Western civilization. Our institutions are going to be graduating students with degrees that are meaningful. We don't want students to go through at taxpayer expense and graduate with a degree in zombie studies, which I just had to laugh. Now, zombie studies was was at least a politically correct way of saying there's ridiculous degrees without actually naming the ridiculous degrees. 
But how many of we times have we seen these poor students that graduate, you know, with a degree in gender studies? They just spent two hundred thousand dollars for the degree. They're hundred thousand dollars in debt. Where are you going to get a job? And how does that, how does that degree, one of a myriad of degrees, how does that degree qualify you to do anything meaningful in a real world? And I think that's what DeSantis is saying. It's like, if you, if you want to pursue that path, that's great. You pay for it. But I'm accountable to the taxpayers, and the taxpayers are tired of having people graduate with degrees that cause them to hate America, hate marriage, hate family, uh, you know, be confused about gender and ideology, and, um, and actually be tyrannical in their expression of, of their viewpoint. So... Yeah. I, I'm just laughing because it's like, yay, finally somebody stating uh, common sense. Because we've talked about this. If if you don't go after the funding, in other words, if the, if it's not, if these institutions of higher education are not held accountable by, at the end of the day, by taxpayers and legislatures who are responsible for how we spend our hard-earned money, um, then there, there's no accountability. There's not going to be any change. And he's basically saying, no, there's, it's time for accountability. Yeah, basically, you're you're taking all the taxpayers' money to fund one, you know, 50, say it's a 50-50 nation, half of the nation's political views. And and that's just fundamentally unfair. And it's, it's like you should stay neutral on those areas, at least the very least. Now, if you're a private university, you do private funding, what do your own thing. But all these public universities are all so, I mean, zealous yeah. On basically a religious religious zealotry in sharing these these progressive views, you yeah. know. I and, remember when yeah. when um, same sex marriage was being debated, and uh, and here in Indiana it was obviously a huge issue. And the president of Indiana University, you know, one of the largest largest publicly funded universities in our state, came out and said um, spoke again for the university and said at Indiana University we will not allow. You know, marriage discrimination, which is that discrimination word is always their buzzword, right? And I, I sat there thinking, how many Christian students go to Indiana University? How many Christian professors? I, that's probably a much smaller group because we've already talked about those problems. But, but here at a place where there should have been open dialogue, where they should have been consciously inviting in people from diverse viewpoints to have an intellectual discussion about a critical, you know, issue. That's what universities used to be doing. That's yeah. what they were. That's, that's the platform for that. Instead, no discussion, a top-down, heavy-handed. This is who we are, and if you believe anything different, you're you're a discriminator. And, and, and my thing is, this is like he, you know, I don't remember who the president is at the time of Indiana University. And they feel so entitled. They they feel no qualm. This is like they're not thinking. Oh, this is the state university, state funded. I should represent all sides of the art. No, they're not thinking all that. They feel such entitled to share their view. Whatever. They they're so comfortable because they have created an echo chamber. Yeah, of, of completely of those voices. But here, here's the thing: is that institution that 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 bias has been established probably three four decades ago. You know, and we're playing catch up right now oh, to, to, to say, oh, what happened to our higher ed? It's been completely blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what? Like, there's no point complaining at this point. We got to do something about it. You know, and Ron DeSantis is doing something about it. That's why there's some Christian private university who's staying out. I mean, Liberty University has taken, has grown so much yep. because it's the largest Christian university. And, you know, I have friends who go to Liberty and I found out like, you know, 
like some of the some of the people come all the way from California. Can you imagine in California, you're sending your kids to Liberty University. What does that say about you? You know, I know you're conservative then, right? Well, you talk about like a a, a prophet of Baal encounter on Mount Carmel, right between uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. The two governors that are the direct antithesis of each other are, are Ron DeSantis and and Gavin Newsom, mm. California and Florida, and uh, and they represent two completely different ideologies, and both are saying we're the model state. Well, California is the national leader in people leaving the state. Florida is certainly one of the states where people are flocking to, and I think it's for reasons like this. You know, DeSantis went after... He went, first of all, he wanted to say, how, how much money are we spending on woke programs and expenditures? And he wanted every single um, office uh, of, of public universities to re- report back to him by January 13th. When they did, he said, there's a ton of money. This is not the best use of our money. He said, those bur- bureaucracies are not representative of what the people of the state and the taxpayers of the state want. He said, DEI bureaucracies are hostile to academic freedom. They, they constitute a drain on resources, and they end up contributing um, greater costs. I love this. As these bureaucracies metastasize, so, so, he views them as cancerous growth. He gets it because basically you're, you're taking state funds to fund institutions that produce people who are against the values of the states. Why would the state be incentivized to do that? Now, now, Forrest, he's trying to do that. What I'm hoping he's created a template in which other red state governors are doing the same thing. In California, UCLA, you're liberal. You know what? I'm not surprised. Berkeley, you're you're liberal. Yeah. Stanford, I mean, I, I'm not surprised, right? And if you send your kids there, you know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to get. But but like Oklahoma University, one of the reddest state in the nation, you know? Yep. Uh, Indiana, well, Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. So, 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 but there's no template to take the political views of the state, which is funding the university, to to align to say, hey, university, you gotta align with the people of your state that's funding you, right? Absolutely. There's no there's no model for that, and I think Ron DeSantis is creating hopefully a template that other red state, maybe our future governor, who is going to be and say, hey, you know what, that worked for any uh, for Florida, let's take that implement that Indiana. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more with you. In fact, a couple of days ago, that's exactly what I posted on my Facebook page was that DeSantis is creating an educational template uh, that hopefully, uh, just what you said, governors across it's going America. To be a strong, it's going to be a tough battle because that entrenchment of progressivism in, in yeah. liberal university, the spirit of university is no longer about learning. It's about self-discovery. Well, because we, yeah, because we lost truth. We lost truth. We're talking it's about, about discovering, it's, it's postmodern, it's discovering yourself. When you have a hotbed of self-discovery with a bunch of 19, 20-year-olds, right. it's a mess. I think back when I was 19, 20-year-old, self-discovery, I didn't know what was up, down, left, right, okay? And, and you got so, so it should be a place of learning and growth and training, and with based on standards and truth, right? right. That's not the spirit of higher higher ed anymore, right? It is, it is narcissism on steroids, yeah. and, uh, and that's why. So it's a spiritual. It's not just an institutional yeah. battle. It's a spiritual battle. Well, and I and you hit the nail on the head, but this is what DeSantis said: professors and students will be able to learn in an environment freed from politically corrupt correct groupthink. That's the political template that's being put on. That it, all the students are, are forced to do the uh, the Heil Hitler to you know, uh, and, and yes, we submit, we agree, we're not going to think for ourselves, and and it shouldn't be happening at any university. Uh, DeSantis, I like this. Florida is is where woke goes to die, and that's exactly what he's been 
been that's his mantra and it's true i mean he has proven that that is is working in the state of florida uh he said here de the dei bureaucracy really serves as an ideological filter a political filter uh, and that's the filter that's got to be removed. Uh, he says education is not indoctrination. Uh, by reining in diversity, equity, and inclusion infrastructures that uh, often act as Marxist po uh, uh, pol politburos on ca college campuses, uh, DeSantis is offering not just an ideological critique, but an actionable path toward reform. That is amazing. Uh, and that's what I love about uh, his leadership. It's interesting in the state of Florida, as as he is, is, you know, not only took on Disney for their wokeness, but now he's taken on the universities. The University of Florida just uh, uh, put... Uh, Ben Sass, who was the one of the senators from the state of uh, Nebraska, uh, put him in as the new president, and the, the, some of the Marxist students had a fit. And, and this is what I find interesting, and why universities tolerate this, I have no idea. They allowed this small group of Marxist students who were in an uproar because they actually hired this guy as the president. And Ben Sass is no real conservative, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, he, he, but, but he, he did make a conservative statement about, uh, interestingly enough, about same-sex marriage. Uh, and this hits the nail on the head. I this, mean, he's no, like, radical left. Right. But I wouldn't say he's, like, the beacon of... No, anyways. Right. Yeah. So, so here, here's the radical stuff that he put forward in an uh, email that, it, that was sent out. Uh, he said, how, how can we champion pluralism, curiosity, viewpoint diversity, open debate, intellectual rigor for our students and faculty, such that our graduates will be prepared to live and work with people of many points of view? I mean, what could be more perfectly stated for what an environment at a university is supposed to be like? I mean, I, okay, I, I'll just say, like, that statement, I get it, that why people say those statements. Yeah. But, I mean, 30 years ago, that's a progressive very progressive statement. Today is, like... Right, right. Today today's, like, central, you know? Like, <laughs> no, you're like, right. You know, right. like, you know, 30 years ago, it would be like, you know, uh, 30 years ago, I was 12 years old. But 30 years ago, it would have been like, hey, here's a truth. Let's discover the truth. That, that's discovered the truth that God stated, that God's given us, and that's discovered. Now it's like, well, you know what? We're going to open dialogue so you can just, so you can figure out truth yeah. for yourself. It's and, still very... Yeah, and all viewpoints are yeah. equal. But it's better than, right. it's, it's better than, hey, here's a, here's a hard-line truth on progressive left, and there's no debate and the censorship you come against. That's better. Yeah, it's better, but to me, it's just where we well, where no, we gone. Yeah. That, that is a, a very insightful point. Yeah. Because that is, that would have been what the mantra of the left would have been 50 years ago yeah. and now we're simply trying to recover it as yeah, that's progressive 50 years ago to say hey you know what we don't want group think we don't want how dare you declare a truth is let's, let's have dialogue let's open let's, let's be let's have a true liberal arts education when people can really learn and feel that out and, and now seeing as like hard right well, well, you say we, we, you hit the nail on the head it's not just everybody get together and share what they think we're pursuing not just what you think, but what is good and beautiful and true and right and just. And th those are all ideals that came out of, of our scripture. Like, let's have open debate about gravity. Uh, you say it's 9.81 <laughs> meter per second square acceleration. I'm going to say it's 10. Yeah. Yeah. In, a, in the hard sciences, we, we don't have too much quote, open debate because, well, you know, gravity and certain stuff things like, this. like yeah. mathematically. Yeah. But I mean, there is still a lot of bias in sciences. So yes, you yeah. should have old debate, but I'm just saying, you know, but there's a still, where's the alignment towards truth? 
and I don't really see that in that oh. dialogue, right? Where's that? No, you, you gotta know, find you're... you. You gotta find truth in physics. You gotta find truth in biology. Right. I, there's dialogue we're talk, to we're get talking to about truth. Not truths, but truth with a capital T. Right. In, in other words, this is true. It doesn't matter what gender you are, where you come from, what yeah. your ethnic background is. One plus is. one is two. Doesn't yeah. matter how yeah. you feel. And and you need open dialogue to get to that truth. I get that. But there's still, what's the destination? Is the destination for you to feel whatever you want? Or is the destination for us to, ob- to arrive yeah. at this objective truth yeah. that we can say we both have to align ourselves to it? Because that's what makes, edu- that's what education, I don't want my son to go learn, oh, whatever, math is whatever you want it to be. No, <laughs> I don't well, care what Education is not meant to be a political uh, agenda that's pushing social activism, which is what our universities have become. It's like, we want you to get all full of crazy ideas so that you go out and burn cities down and you're a political activist. That's the goal. It's like, no, that's not the goal. Let's let's actually build a, a society and a culture that uh, that supports life and freedom and economic freedom and all these things that have been part of the American dream and still right. still are part of the American dream for many, many people. Uh, and there's a reason why higher education has been bleeding students for a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. And where many people are just taking a pass altogether yeah. today because yeah. it's an expensive waste of time if, if you're going to these universities that are under the DEI and the CRT kind of uh, yeah. political template. It's a waste of time and waste of money. In fact, many parents are, are concerned they're losing their kids. It's like, who are you? It's like invasion of the, of the body snatchers. Your brain got sucked out of your head in four yeah. years of, uh, quote, higher education. You, you, you leave being a barbarian, so you know. It's a rough environment on those campuses, absolutely. It is. it is. So anyway, why are we talking about this on this podcast? Because Jesus is Lord of all, and, uh, and our ideas have consequences, and we're going to flesh that out in the weeks to come. So yeah. I hope you'll join us. Um, we're going to get into uh, this book a little bit, uh, at least as a jumping off place, um, and really try to recapture why the scriptures, why the word of God, why truth is absolutely essential to understanding the America that we live in and um, and the world as a whole. So we hope you'll tune in and join us next week. Hey, have a wonderful uh, Valentine's Day. This is a belated Valentine's Day uh, wish to you. We love you all. We thank you guys for watching and uh, love your comments as always. Please like it and share it with as many friends as possible as we want to uh, be effective in reaching uh, our community and, and our nation and the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We'll see you next Thursday.